Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today by Secretary's Editor Harriet Russell. How are you doing, Harriet? Yeah, good, thanks, John. Excellent. And Deputy Companies Editor, soon to be Companies Editor, Mark Robinson. How are you, Mark? It's out there now, John. It's out there. Put it, put it, out, there. I put it out there. Put it out there. I'm very well, thank you. Indeed. Uh, so, yeah, Companies Editor Ian Smith is off to the FT, but... Um, there you go. This is the natural progression of things here in the FT Is group. it natural? Well, it's a little bit unnatural, but... Is um, it a progression? But it, it is the way it is, Robert. You are now, you are a company's editor-in-waiting, so uh, you're going to be talking us through the many results we've had this week. Ah, uh, yes. It's getting busy, isn't it? It is getting rather busy. You've picked up the mantle at just the right time. Indeed. Uh, so, this week, we are going to talk mainly about results, actually, um, because, as I say, there are, there are quite a few... Um, and quite a few of those results fall into your sector, Harriet. They do. Um, so, I mean, let's, let's quickly run through some of the big stories this week, some of which aren't in the magazine because the world has been moving fast. Robert Mugabe in Zimbabwe. Indeed. Well, it's, it's uh, sort of apt, really, because of this week's feature featuring uh, country risk, political risk by Alex Newman, who unfortunately isn't with us today. Where is he now? Uh, actually, he's in. He did tell me. Has he gone somewhere exotic? He has gone somewhere exotic, but the uh, it's escaped me. I, I will come back to you on that point. Indeed. So the cover feature this week is 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 the rough guide to risk, and it's about it's about actually how you actually try and manage the risk of venturing overseas. Which, if you're interested in in above average returns, you should probably consider doing. But stories like. Zimbabwe and Venezuela are quite frightening. Well, yes, of course, and uh, I think we've made this point in the past as well. It's uh, it's it's odd, really, but uh, when you talk about the extractive in- industries, mining and oil and gas, as which, well, which Alex does in the future quite a bit, indeed, actually. and and very often you'll find those are in uh, political hotspots or unstable political areas. I mean, all of our readers would probably be well aware of this. And of course, if you've got uh, investments in some of the London-listed companies that operate in South Africa, that's um, that's an uh, overarching concern as well because the uh, political situation there is actually d- deteriorating in terms of Western companies, I would say. Mm, indeed, but so, so basically the point of the feature uh, is that you shouldn't avoid these these jurisdictions altogether, but but what Alex is trying to do is make life a little bit more certain, how, how you can actually bring some certainty to the process of investing in, in these, these kind of off-the-beaten-track jurisdictions. Yes, yes, I'd say so. I mean, I, I don't know if he mentions uh, Zimbabwe or Robert he, McGarvey. He hasn't, he hasn't actually. Because the, the, the last investment that I seem to remember uh, uh, targeting that country was uh, Nicholas von Hoogstraden, the uh, the slum landlord. How did, he get, how did he get on? We haven't heard from him for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Alex does give some very specific examples. A lot of them are mining, as you would expect. But but actually, I think a really interesting point is that where this kind of country risk has, has, has come to a head, you've often been able to pick up assets on the cheap because people get overly pessimistic. True. I mean, at the end of the day, money talks as well. But you've got a situation in South Africa, I alluded to before, where you have this effectively a schism within the ANC where hardliners uh, want to... Uh, repatriate uh, a lot of uh, South African industry, as was the case in Zimbabwe as well. And uh, we all know what uh, deleterious effects that had on the economy. Indeed. One of the interesting things Alex has done here is, is understand how you can balance the risk with the potential rewards you can make. And actually, the, the chart he's put together, the table he's put together, which I think is fantastic, shows that the, the jurisdiction, which in the, in the world is looking cheapest at the moment, is the UK. Yeah. And th- this actually echoes something John Barron wrote about last week, mm. largely to do, I-, I would suspect, with the political risk that uh, is is attached to Brexit. Well, the perceived political risk. Uh, well, but that's the point, perceived. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, I, I tend to think from an economic point of view that rationalism uh, tends to take over in the last stages of any negotiation like Brexit as well, and I'm still confident that will be the case. Indeed. But, but, but the point is that pessimism often leads to uh, overselling as it yeah. were. And the UK is certainly an example at the moment. Europe was last year, which is the subject of the uh, big theme this week, the, mm. the buying the European bounce back. So it's, a, it's an interesting feature, and, you know, especially for those, those investors of a more adventurous mindset. Indeed. And uh, I made uh, the point in last week's Taking Stock, in fact, I've made it a couple of times in recent weeks, that we're all expecting a, a general pullback in the market. So uh, our readers should be girding their loins for uh, some uh, value opportunities that... Uh, coming in the weeks and months ahead. Indeed. Um, I mean, looking at the seven days, and of course we didn't mention Venezuela there, which is the other big uh, yes. geopolitical news of the week, yes. defaulting on their, their sovereign debts, which is... Well, there's also all sorts of problems with regards to Venezuela as well, not least of which is the uh, poor quality of their crude oil, which uh, becomes an issue as uh, Western markets move away from uh, conventional uh, motor vehicles. Uh, but that's down the road there. But uh, it, it's, it's a function of the crude over there that unless oil is somewhere in the region of $80 a barrel plus, they, they lose money. And that's the processing cost of turning it into yes. something that's usable. Yes, it's very heavy uh, It's very heavy crude they've got over there, and it always has been the case, unfortunately. Oil's had a good run this year. Not so good this week. It's been, uh, it's yeah, been falling back. Uh, yes, it has a, a little bit there, but there's so many levers with the oil price at the moment. Very few of them actually have to do with standard uh, supply and demand as well. People are looking at the political situation in Saudi Arabia, obviously, as a, as a key determinant there. We don't know what, exactly what's uh, playing out. There's obviously some kind of power grab underway there. But what that uh, means for the long-term oil price is difficult to say. Indeed. Sticking with the seven days page uh, and the uh, the kind of big stories of the week, Tesco, Harriet, I mean, they, they, they've got clearance for the Booker deal. Yeah, it all seemed quite easy in the end. It really did. Um, there was sort of a hint a, a month or so ago, maybe six weeks now, that the competition stuff was really starting to intensify and that the CMA might make them do serious disposals as part of the terms and conditions of the deal. Anyway, that seems to have come to nothing. It's Indeed. Because I mean, it was the convenience side of the business mm-hmm. that the, the, the worries were mainly set, the competition worries is it, is were mainly Londis set. and a few other... Do they do Londis? Uh, Booker owns Londis and Budgeons and Tesco obviously has its own extensive convenience chain. Yeah, I think Booker has something called Premier as well, which I see. Yeah, I think it does. And it's also obviously got Macro, the German business as well. So what, what was the potential problem there or the, or the conflict? The conflict was that they, I think other people or other sort of companies in the market said that they were worried that the convenience chains of Booker and Tesco overlapped too much in market share terms, that as a combined entity, they would exert significant pricing power. Yeah. But convenience has has always been massively fragmented. And, yeah. and even together, I think this was ultimately what the, the CMA based their decision on. Th- their combined share is still quite small. Yeah, and also I think it might have been slightly hypocritical for them to deny it based on the fact that they allowed McCall's um, about 18 months ago, maybe even two years now, to buy 278 co-op stores adding to their own already extensive store estate. so Because they're now converting a lot of old McColl stores to, to a co-op format. Yeah, so I think it's it's one of those things where they came out yesterday with actually a f- sort of cemented figure that no one can argue with, which is that Booker's market share being less than 20% means that there is no substantial conflict for them to have long-term concerns. Mm. So they, they completely ignored the idea that, that a group that had massive market share in, in supermarket retail and significant market share in food service coming together might actually have some impact on prices. Yep. Just 
just didn't didn't matter to them at all. It doesn't seem to have come to anything. Um, In, well, you saw the email I sent you, which was I, not my words, the words of an analyst. The words and of an analyst. Shawcap. Shawcap. It's it's Clive Black who we refer to him as Mr. Supermarkets because he does have extensive knowledge. Love Clive Black. Um, he's very very good, and he referred to it as the comedy markets authority we've we've discussed this on this podcast before because things that you would think they would have no interest in they seem to do and things that seem quite significant get seem to get waved through yeah well one of the famous quotes at the beginning of the year when the deal was announced in january was the competition authorities are going to have a field day with this well it seems like they have because they've had 11 months to sort of play around with it and they've done absolutely nothing about it. Well, they've looked it. to some stuff. Well, yeah, but in terms of final conclusions, they really haven't made any that are going to have to require serious action. I really like Booker as a share, always have. I uh, mm. really like Charles Wilson as chief exec, which I think I've mentioned many times before. Well, this is, what, in, what do we think about the implication for Tesco now this is going through? Do we, uh, I think has it changed our view on the shares? Not really. I think we've agreed, haven't we, that for Tesco, the biggest coup from this deal is actually getting Charles Wilson um, onto the board there. Um, and I think that will serve them well. Um, he's an industry veteran at this point and he really knows his stuff. Tesco, for me, the shares, it's not that I'm sort of disbelieving in the long term kind of margin recovery there. It's just that I think the, the shares have priced it in the whole time that this recovery has been ongoing and that hasn't really changed it's come off slightly in the last six months while these um while these competition issues were sort of lurking in the background good but, ba- good bounce back this week though yeah, uh, look, well, it, looking at the uh, rise and falls on the seven day page i think they're about uh, where is it seven percent yeah they were, that was in one day that was on the back of the announcement yeah i think much, i think so. it's really great i've always said i, I like this deal and uh, you know i'm not a, generally a big fan of stupidly large mergers but i really like the look of this one i think yeah, it's clever it's really clever when you uh, set it in context against the Amazon threat, which is something that I sort of alluded to in this week's Sainsbury's results as well. Let's talk about Sainsbury's. Let's move uh, swiftly into results. We'll come back to news, Robbo, because I know that you uh, wrote the lead story in the news section this week was about ultra electronics, which was a horror. But so we'll come back to that. Let's let's uh, let's keep let's keep on theme. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the Sainsbury's results. Yeah, these were interesting for me. They were kind of like oh god, that's a horrible graph. Yeah, <laughs> it is a bit of a stinker. But I think generally speaking, with Sainsbury's, you kind of it takes a bit of time to kind of pull apart the meat, so to speak. Um, which is that obviously since it's Argos acquisition, the numbers have kind of been all over the place. Which you would expect. Which you would expect, and they take a little bit of dissection to truly understand sort of the underlying health of the business. Which, actually, when you look at online and you look at convenience, really isn't that bad. It's traditional supermarket, which is kind of, you know, superstore level, which is not doing so well for them. But that is a trend across the industry, I would say. The demise of the weekly food shop, etc. We still still do our weekly food shop with Sainsbury's, but online. Online, exactly. Um, Which is an ever-evolving trend. And obviously... They have recognised this and it'll be interesting to see how much the Argos acquisition It's definitely driving an improvement at the top line. But analysts, particularly with supermarkets, are obsessed with like for like. So the like for like kind of looks modest because it excludes, obviously, a lot of the Argos impact. Why have the shares come off so much over the past, what is that, six months? Yeah, um, I think a lot of it's got to do with the Amazon Prime launch, which was the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. That ties in pretty much spot on with when the shares started to collapse. But you haven't seen that that level of underperformance from 
Morrison and Tesco is that is that because they're coming from a, a much base. weaker base yeah I, I genuinely do think that is it Sainsbury's was never in as bad a way and it's always had this kind of comfortable dividend yield to keep people sort of relatively interested so for me it was almost I think I actually pitched it this year to our tips editor as an old reliable strangely because even though the um, industry faces massive challenges it's very good at plugging away hence the headline on on this week's results I still like Sainsbury's as a business I have to say I I, I tend to I mean convenience was always talked about as the the kind of uh, alternative to the weekly shop where you go and do your top-up shopping. I still do my top-up shopping in a large supermarket, which is Tesco. Mm-hmm. And what I have noticed going in there is they seem to be getting their home ranges really right. So really Sainsbury's, right. I have to say. Well, I haven't seen them because I don't go in there. Well, and the, that's, uh, the biggest superstore next to me is, is the Sainsbury's. And I agree with you, like the general ranges there are doing so well. And you can tell it's it's real quality. And the food, I mean, the food is sort of as it as ever was. Um, but I think, yeah, it's difficult to know, really. I think online is just going to be the future. This is sort of a wider kind of topic that we need to look at. But it sort of makes it harder to cross-sell. It makes it harder to, to, to promote that impulse purchase. Well, and this um, is what I mean about it will be interesting to see how the Argos deal unfolds, because, of course, a lot of the motivation for that deal, aside from the distribution network, was the opportunity to cross-sell within mm, store, as mm. in people come and collect their Argos purchase, realise they're in a Sainsbury's superstore and inevitably end up shopping for food or general merchandise while they're there um i go in for some bread and i come away with half a dozen pillows yeah well well maybe it's working then but at tesco yeah at tesco maybe it's maybe it's something that can translate but i think sainsbury's might struggle as as the weekly if the weekly food shop falls away i think there is this thinking in people's minds of i've got to go to the supermarket so i'll arrange for my argos delivery to be there at the same time and then you might chuck in some extras that i hadn't thought about and i think it's very difficult to think, are, is Argos enough of a draw without the weekly shop attached to it in order to manifest that cross-selling? In my view, no. I agree. But there you go. Let's stick with the same page. Uh, not about supermarkets, Burberry. Mm. Now, this is this is interesting. Burberry, uh, it's had a good run, actually. Not so much in the last week or so. No, because... The run that it's had this last year has largely been driven by a huge currency tailwind. It's obviously a very global business and earns a significant amount of revenue outside of the UK. So translating those revenues back into pounds um, has sort of done it quite a lot of good over the last year. However, what has emerged in the last week or two are a number of kind of strategic and underlying issues which they're going to have to fix. Um, The biggest being the departure imminently of Christopher Bailey. Is that is that such a bad thing? Because presumably there is a lot of talent out there in the world of, uh, of fashion. Uh, he's had a good run. He's been done an amazing job for Burberry. But, but, you know, talent gets stale. Yeah, he's been at the group since 2001. He's been head of design since 2004. Chief exec for a little bit as well, which didn't work out so well. No, so... In 2004, when he became head of design, he was alongside Angela Arantz as chief executive, and that was really a dream partnership. And she's now at Apple. She's now at Apple. And when she left, they promoted him into the joint role of chief executive and design, which is a bit unprecedented for this kind of business. I think it's, I think that was a very silly move. And Suffice it, to say... I think we said so at the time, and, 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 yeah. and so it's proved. Yeah. It's, so t- tell us about the new guy. The new guy... Because you, you like the, the sound of this guy. Yeah, so the new chief executive, they announced his appointment last year and he started this July. It's Marco Gabetti, who came from Celine, which is a Parisian fashion house. Oh, I know it well. Um, <laughs> I don't. 
I, I admire it well, put it that way. And uh, and uh, his his chief designer there is a is a woman called Phoebe Philo, who's also British, incidentally. And between the two of them, they have completely revived that house. It was pretty much in administration when the two of them got there. And together, it's now one of the best performers. I think it's owned by Kering, um, as opposed to LVMH. And so anyway, he has been poached from Celine to come and head up Burberry. And Has he got a poach? His, well, his design chief. I have put her name in the results. Put it that okay, way. Okay. <laughs> because um, is, that, is that is that a rumor you've heard? It's a rumor I've elsewhere? heard. Yeah. Um, the other name in the mix is Sarah Burton, who is currently head of design at Alexander McQueen, and also designed the Duchess of Cambridge's wedding dress. If that puts it in perspective. Um, yeah, I remember it well. It was a beautiful thing. <laughs> <It wasn't> beautiful. <laughs> um, but Phoebe Philo, I think you know she's an industry veteran as well, and has had a, an extensive career. She was at Chloe before that, so um, so yeah, she knows her stuff. And the two of them could try and make the same ma- magic happen. It's, it's it's difficult because Phoebe Philo is is still answering to a conglomerate, and Marco Gabetti is not. Burberry is not owned by anyone except Burberry, so mm. um, it's a very different kind of existence. We'll see. But interesting. But but Marco Gabetti has some ideas. Which he's he's laid out, which you've mentioned in in the news piece. One of which I th- I thought was really interesting. You were talking about looks rather than like items. Complete looks. Complete. Now, do you know what? I mean, Burberry. You you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> the, 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 when I read that phrase, complete looks, I just thought Daniela Westbrook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting because Burberry has been a first mover in that it's one of the only, well, it was pretty much the first big fashion house of its kind to move to what they call seasonless collections, which only happened last year. And instead of doing the traditional autumn, winter, spring, summer, they now just have two fashion shows a year and it's just whatever because they're selling into so many territories. The whole spring, summer, autumn, winter just doesn't make sense. But but that's actually the same model that has worked very well for for some of the fast fashion guys, particularly Inditex, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And what happens is they show it traditionally in fashion. You'll have a fashion show and six months later it will hit the stores. So you'll show autumn, winter in February and it will hit the stores in September. Now what Burberry is doing and what a lot of the uh, fashion industry has been forced to copy is that they show the collection on the runway and you can start to buy it as it comes down the catwalk online. So presumably these collections are not the sort of insane mad fashion design stuff you occasionally see from some of these houses but 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 things that are more ready ready to wear they call it wearable wearable (laughs) wearable fashion wearable you can actually wear it you can actually wear it indeed um that is the whole point the ready to wear collections become much more practical and it is interesting actually the last one that i had a look at on netaporte was was very burberry in that it started to revert very much to the to the heritage check which did have such a bad name. It, it had a bad name because uh, there was a lot of counterfeiting going on. Yeah, the, the licensing the counter- got the, out of control. The, but not licensed. Right. Ca- unlicensed. Counterfeit that was, you know, the attraction of Burberry was because you had some of these celebrities who mm. were able to afford to go out and buy the look mm-hmm. and then people were trying to ape it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a good look. I mean, they've reinvented it. It's not the same kind of like sort of, you know, associations that it had last time. Um the interesting thing was when I was doing research for these results, I just went onto the Netaporte site to see what they were selling Burberry items for. And when you're selling a cotton trench coat for like £1,200 and a cardigan for £1,000, to then try and convince your investors that you need to move more up market, quote unquote, is going to be quite a tall order, I think. And it seems that Christopher Bailey agrees. I think they've had a clash of strategies because Mr. Gabetti has only been there since July and Mr. Bailey's already announced his intention to leave. 
Yeah, it's 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 very interesting. Mm. It's very interesting. What do we what do we think about the shares? Actually, Which is the the most important thing from our perspective? I actually think the shares are still worth it. Um, they actually trade at a discount now to the sector average. Um, this this sort of upper echelon of of the fashion industry has been trading at extremely high valuations because of the currency tailwinds most of them are enjoying. But because of this little stumble um, in the last month or so, the the Burberry shares have come off. So for me, it's uh, it's buy on a dip. A little buy on opportunity. Mm. Indeed, and actually, you're sticking with uh, with with high fashion for your tip this week. We won't reveal the name. Get on get on the site and have a look when they come out uh, this afternoon. They may have even already come out by the time this uh, this gets published. But yeah, you still you still thinking there's life in uh, in high fashion? There definitely is, and not to give it away, but the kind of tip that I have done. I mean, it's a very very different kind of way of operating within the luxury market. Okay. Should we, uh, let's head back to the news section. Thank you, Harriet. And uh, talk about Ultra, because this is a company I liked for a long time. But this latest update is, is horrific. And looking at the, uh, the seven days page, it's, it's at the bottom of the, um, bottom of the table, down 33% in the week till the 14th of November, which is when we calculate the, uh, the, the moves. What's happened there, Robbo? Well, it was um, uh, basically uh, to do with rationalisation at the MOD, but it's taken a little while to uh, feed through um, into orders or a lack of orders in this case. And um, I make the point in this: this is um, past. Uh, this has been coming uh, for some time, but the MOD, according to analysts anyway, have been um, basically looking at reducing their low-hanging fruit, those types of uh, short-term contracts. That that can be cancelled readily. What what sort of what sort of contract would that be? I mean, well, stuff that isn't linked to sort of big ticket items. The MOD is so long. When you say big ticket, you mean sort of long ter- long well uh, term long procurement exactly. cycles. They, they've, they've got a the MOD have got a um, process. Where they're they're building a number of new frigates at the moment. We've got the joint strike fighter program. Uh, all capital has been committed to these areas, and. Um, just given the fact that they're long run, you can't really go back on these commitments as well. So they're just trimming uh, around the margin. Unfortunately, a high proportion of um, uh, Ultra's uh, revenues are linked to these type of contracts. You mean the shorter term? The shorter term. Shorter duration? Uh, yes. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, so predominantly short cycle and small ticket procurement is uh, is the phrase that's been used. Because I mean, one of the things I always liked about Ultra was it was really good at doing the sort of buy and build type thing. It bought, bought lots and lots of businesses, broadening its scope but from the sound of things that sort of that's left it with a bitty bitty nature of what it does and that's now come come to bite yes it is it is but i mean this has been reflected in um uh, markdowns in the lead up to this uh uh, warning too so i think the the market is um uh, reasonably well aware of it but it wasn't aware enough for it for the shares not to fall 30 percent this week which is uh no, and and actually, there had there had been um, a, a sell off in the week leading up to the announcement as well. I haven't included this in the article, but I did look at some of the figures. So, uh, well, with, this, with the figure I mentioned, is the whole week, not not the on the day. Oh yes, oh, okay, yeah, sure. I mean, but I mean, in the week leading up to the actual announcement itself, there had been a, a major sell off in, in the shares. Then, so I don't know if this is something that uh, the regulators would be looking. At. I mean, these these things have a habit of getting out, and I don't think they it do. was. Uh, well, they, they did update on the Friday prior to the the warning as well, saying there w- there is an announcement uh, in the offing. That so might be the reason. That could well be the reason. But even we, prior- announcing an unscheduled announcement that's know, an interesting. I know, approach. but <laughs> the, 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 the share price had actually been dropping prior to that as well. I was looking at the, the midday prices, um, so I don't know if that's uh, significant at all. Okay, so we so we I mean cutting to the chase. 
we bought these shares back in August 2015. They've weakened since then, but you're still positive. Yeah, I'm reasonably positive because um, the chief executive designate uh, makes the point that even though we're seeing some weakness in the domestic market, you know, the US defence procurement is on the rise. The adjustment to... What, what about what about some of these sort of emerging market uh, activities? This, These was, you know, places like India and Brazil were seen as the big future for, for defence. Yeah, I mean, we, we haven't heard that much uh, for the BRICS, really. Um, uh, Saudi Arabia was an important market in market, but that seemed to have um, stalled slightly uh, as well. But the, the big the big prize is in the United States at the moment. And we still th- we're still comfortable that that's, that's there for Ultra to Yeah, the, the, to mark, the markdown itself... Um, uh, did seem uh, overdone because uh, it was just a 10% uh, reduction in adjusted operating profits they were talking about. And uh, the UK uh, market market share is about a quarter at the moment. And I think that's falling. And that includes some starts in uh, nuclear and uh, other industries too. So non, uh, Non-defense. Non-defense. So, yeah. I mean, it did seem, uh, the, the sell-off did seem... Uh, quite extreme, we thought at the time. It uh, it, it led to the uh, resignation of uh, Rekha Sharma as well, uh, and so obviously uh, the, the thinking is that the um, you know the new blood is needed. When you say new blood, because because Douglas Caster, well, yeah, right? he's I'm, been there for years. Well, he has. I mean, he used to be chief executive, indeed. As well, indeed, so, when um, I covered it, and that was back in two thousand and ten. Yes, yes, but I mean, I think this is a, a temporary measure. So, um, but but it may be what the market needs to see. The, I mean, the man who did actually build this into a very successful kind of aerospace conglomerate which is what it is essentially yeah you need a bit a bit of experience at the helm perhaps is what they want it's a segues into a, an announcement today as well we've covered for uh, gkn because the um oh, well, i hear the chief execs quit before he's even started well exactly uh, kevin cummings uh, he was in charge of their um, north american aerospace division this is the one where they've uh, had some problems and it, it looks like it's wholly avoidable as well because it's it's issues linked to receivables and and uh, and the balance sheet as well, and inventory issues on the balance sheet, and um, they, I think they they had a fifteen million dollar or pound write down uh, announced uh, last month, and that that's that's been brought up to around about a minimum of eighty million, and so um, this is the division that he was in charge of. So obviously they're thinking, well. It, it does point to mismanagement. How, how did the share price react to this uh, this strange news? It was down by about eight percent last time I looked at it. Oh well, never mind. But, you know, but this, this is a this is again this is a, a very good uh, company, and their automotive uh, division has been performing very well. But they've just had problems with the, the U.S. Um, aerospace. Robert, let's let's move away from some of these uh, these recent uh, aerospace and uh, automotive disasters. Let's let's talk about one of your your successes in in the space, which you've covered in the results section this week. AB Dynamics. They've had another cracking set of results, uh, and this share price is looking much more healthy. Yeah, it, it, there, there wasn't a great deal within the results that we uh, hadn't been uh, foreshadowed as well. But the interesting point is made is that uh, a high proportion of next year's revenues are already covered. They've got this uh, marquee deal in China now. Um, the point with it is, we had them on a buy a, a year or so ago, and the, the valuations at that point they were just very hard to sort of um, uh, to quantify, really, because uh, it's it's a reasonably large company. Just well, let's, re- let's talk about what they do to get a, get an idea of why why this company is yeah, doing so, so well. So basically, what they do it's it's testing procedures uh, that link to safety and performance with motor vehicles. Um, but they're, they're, they're one of the, I think, three market leaders uh, in this area as well. And uh, innovation and R&D is, um, is central uh, to the business model as well. So um, I make the point that uh, 
it's a type of company as well that from time to time you're going to find that earnings uh, will oscillate because of the level of uh, capital commitments. I mean, over the last year, for instance, uh, I think that went up eightfold from the previous year, and this is a uh, this is something that uh, investors will have to to cope with. But but, but investing for growth, basically, yeah, exactly. But the, the prize, of course, that they've got this foothold in China. They had been in China before, and they've and they supply services to. Um, they don't give a they don't give an actual list, but we know it's twenty five of the the twenty five largest uh, automakers in the world uh, employ their services. But of course, with the development uh, of uh, electric and hybrid motoring, uh, particularly in China. Uh, this will entail a great deal uh, of uh, testing, uh, safety, in, in addition to uh, performance testing, which would be the, um, the the real driver, I tend to think. So, I mean, this company's set fair for the next 10 years, I would say. So we're, we're sticking sticking with that view? These are these are worth hanging on to? Yeah. We, I sort or of, buying still? I mean, the, the, the original tip did very well, um, and we pulled out, and... Uh, we had uh, run your winners, Robbo. Run know, your winners. I know it's not the first time this has happened. To be quite honest with you, but uh, we, we we do think this is a long term. It's, it's a cracking company. Okay, let's um, let's finish off. And there's as I said, there's loads and loads of results in the magazine. Unfortunately, Megan's not around today because she's she's put in a lot this week. Lots well, of text. Yeah, there's a contrasting stories with uh, Vodafone and Talk Talk. It's as with well. Vodafone and Talk Talk on the same page. There's yeah. a few bits in the news section. Uh, City Fiber, Vodafone well, again coming together to yeah. to offer some kind of uh, infrastructure challenge to BT's Open Reach division. Well, the only the only one that we were aware of so far. I mean, yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, Megan has also talked about. We've got some pharmaceutical news in there as well about the generics makers which we're actually going to develop on in, in the next few few weeks or months itv christmas ads it's the christmas ads time of year christmas comes earlier every year uh, it's a good retail story we're starting to see the beginnings of of the christmas season coming through and some of the results even let's talk about christmas should we talk about christmas ads i've not seen any um well i had actually a very passive aggressive tweet sent to me from mns last week because i tweeted about their christmas ad was this the bear paddington i actually thought that their ad Beat John Lewis. Which what do you might... mean beat? Is well, that some kind the, of, is, yeah, there's a some competition, kind of judging, John. Judging. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> obviously. The, um, John Lewis has the benefit of uh, a Beatles song in it, albeit sung by albeit the Albeit sung by Elbow. Elbow. Yeah. Um, that sounds brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> it's the monster under the bed is the I've theme not, of John Lewis versus, versus a classic like Paddington I just think that's genius there have been some complaints, complaints about this ad haven't there uh, well there's there's a part in it where people <laughs> <laughs> have sus- suspected that not Paddington but the other character in the, the burglar ad. yeah the burglar the Christmas burglar there's something <laughs> everyone wants to associate with Christmas it happens John I know it's happened to me before well there you go so, not a Christmas thankfully no but, uh, well um, yeah yeah, there's a there's a part in it where people are suspecting he's using rather inappropriate language, but he's not. He is a burglar. Exactly. It's the kind of so language you would expect, but, it, but obviously he didn't, he didn't say it in, in a primetime TV ad. No, he didn't. Anyway, all this talk about Christmas ads, I don't care. Um, <laughs> however, I do care about Christmas because it's a big season for retail. Yeah. What what's happening? What what's what what is the uh, the kind of warm up? I've seen Christmas trees in pubs. Yeah, I mean, uh, Christmas the thing, decorations are out in shops. The thing is, what's happening these days? You should care less about Christmas and care more about Black Friday. Should we care about Black Friday? Robert, you've mentioned this in your Taking Stock column. Uh-huh. And I think the point you make, and I agree with this, and I've said this before, it's just, it's just bringing a bit of sales forward. Yeah, so traditionally, what the the way it even got its name, and I wrote about this last year actually, um, was that it was traditionally the first day when retailers in their fourth quarters, if they're working on In a, America. Yeah, on a calendar basis, roughly. In America. Um, went into the black 
because okay. it was uh, the day after Thanksgiving. Everyone has the day off work, and they could go out to the shops and do their Christmas shopping. Um, and it, yeah, it was the first time in the in the sort of final period of the year that the uh, the retailers tipped over that mark. That has somehow been distorted in the last few years, and gradually, I think what what really changed the game was when Amazon started not only to offer these massive Black Friday deals in the US, but because they're obviously a very international group, they started to offer them on all of their retail websites around the world. And slowly, um, most of the rest of the domestic retail industry has been forced to play ball mm. as a result. Um, and it's made its way to the high street as well. Obviously. Yeah, of course. Um now we even have Black Friday and Cyber Monday, which are supposed to draw some sort of distinction between physical store sales and online store sales. Of course, the kind of distinction gets a bit lost these days. Um, although Amazon, I have to say, is very good at making a distinction. It sort of offers different things on, on different days. Robert, you're worried that, that this just encourages retailers to build up in inventories. Yeah. That, 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 that cost them money. Holding stock costs businesses' money, especially in the exactly. retail sector. Exactly, and if you get these uh, proliferation of one-off events as well, the, the temptation must be for retailers, right? My, the opposition's doing it. I've got to sort of build inventory. And w- what happens if, if, if it all goes south? Which you it know, does for some retailers. They don't get it right. Well, um, I, I read a press release this, mor- this morning that says, to this day, even though Black Friday has gathered such pace and momentum over the last few years and is now a, a proper part of the calendar in retail speak, um, to this day, the only sort of company for which sales hit any kind of record targets is still Amazon. Mm. Just, no, just goes to show Amazon, yeah. the, power, the power is online, it really and especially is. with Amazon. No other retailer has any kind of record um, figures to show from it. All, in my experience, all they really have to show for it is a diluted margin. Yeah, abs- absolutely. That's always been my worry about this. Let's talk about B&M, because you know, on the subject of, of, of stock build-up, B&M is an interesting company. It's had an amazing year, um, which was sort of hinted at in January, and I tipped it very quickly thereafter. And thank God I did, because it's up by more than a third after that. Um, I mean, this, this is a kind of sort of uh, pound shop plus. They're selling, they're selling essentially goods cheaper than other people can sell them. It's a value retailer. Yeah, the, I, I try uh, less than Poundland. I try and align them more to like a TK Maxx. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. Sort okay. Of yeah. Outfit. I would say they're less less refined than TK Maxx. But TK Maxx of, isn't that refined. No. Mm. <laughs> but in terms of the breadth of the range and the quality that they're trying to strike a note with, I would say it's it's more aligned to that sort of business. Um, but what has really worked for them this year, which is fascinating, um, is food retail. Okay. That that has been the thing they have cited time and again, quarter to quarter, as having massively driven up sales. But they have, as you say in the piece, bought more stock in in, in advance of Christmas. So this is this is the risk that that we're saying is hanging over retailers right now. Yeah. Um, and 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 the high street. I mean, the consumer is not exactly as flush as they were last year. Inflation is is still at three percent. Held steady this month, but still three percent. Still still people are worse off in real terms. Yeah. And the um, ONS data this morning, which was the retail sales data for October, it's the worst it has been for four years, which some of it was sort of a seasonal weather inflicted pattern thing. But a lot of it is is confidence and a lot of um, a lot of it is is sort of the inflation's rising, household income. Well, people, people are maxed out as well. Yeah. We know this. And, well, wages just aren't keeping, keeping pace. It goes back to your credit cycle point. Yeah, yeah. That you've been making for a while, which I think is a very good one. Okay, well, time to keep an eye on obscure accounting measures. Well, uh, I, I did talk about another one in terms. Oh, go on, then. go on, then, Rob. I'll, I'll, in I'll, addition I'll to let you have another obscure accounting. <laughs> well, well just in the, I was talking about uh, retail, but it does uh, extend beyond it. But in terms of retail, 
we, we look at in return, but also you need to use the cash conversion cycle um, in, in addition to this as well. And I make the point that uh, a retailer like Amazon, for instance, has a negative reading on that, which is uh, highly positive, highly positive indeed. It means that they don't really have uh, have to hold capital on their on their books. Uh, it puts them in a uh, completely advantageous uh, position to a lot of high street retailers. Well, they presumably just have buying power. They have power over their suppliers. Well, so exactly. So if they say to the supplier, I want you to get their stuff to me tomorrow, and the supplier says, I can't do it, so Amazon will say... Well, well, we, well, we're going to screw you on that then. Well, I, I do make the point as well that M&S have managed to achieve this negative CCC in the last few years. And I don't know how true this is, but it seemed to me like it, this points to the the food uh, the food segment uh, increasing in importance uh, throughout. Because obviously, if you're, if you're a food retailer, you should be it with a, a negative CCC. Always. 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 Because, you know, you don't, you don't have to pay um, dairy farmers for, you know, six months down the track a- absolutely. or something. Absolutely. That was always one of the great things about investing in supermarkets, but it's yeah. becoming a little bit more difficult. But, I mean, but, I mean, if, if Amazon are pushing this and they've got, they've, got a, they've got a huge negative CCC as well, you know, what hope is there for con- conven- conventional retailers? Well, yeah. I mean, this has been the Amazon threat, which I would say is the dominant narrative of two, 2017 in retail. It's, it's something we actually did a whole feature on it. Yeah. I think it was Alex that wrote that again, wasn't it? It was. Uh, uh, well, it was Alex. I wrote a bit for it. I think Theron also wrote a bit for it back in the day. Probably worth probably worth having um, another look at yeah. that. I really do think that, that Amazon is, is, is a big threat, not just the retail, but to a number of industries. Definitely go back and have a look at that feature. Have you done your Christmas shopping? Um, I have I have done about half of it. Have you really? Yeah. Wow, that, you are so so organised. I was going to say that's because I'm an organisational freak and it's not. And we also go away for Christmas, so we okay. tend to have it a bit earlier. But, um, Robbo? I bet I know what the answer is. Oh, I've, I've got some wine in. <laughs> got some wine. <laughs> I was, uh, Merry uh, Christmas to all. <laughs> that, to be honest, I've, I've given up buying people presents apart from alcohol-related presents. So, well, for the twins? No, not for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's, I bought them some hot sauce. Only <laughs> <laughs> because they're fascinated with my obsession with hot sauce. But there you go. Anyway, I think. Um, uh, that that's uh, about all we have time for today. There is so much in the magazine this week because results season has really cranked up, and there's been a lot of a lot of corporate news. Um, we are at numbers forty six and forty seven of Philip Ryland's understanding investment in fifty objects, and we've got the final three coming this week. It's a, it's a grand finale. Um, John Rosier, our private investor diarist, has uh, has updated his portfolio, doing well again. Lots in the personal finance and fund section, which they will talk about on their podcast tomorrow. LG's momentum. Stock screen, momentum, monsters of momentum. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of your favorites in there, Harry Games Workshop. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually one of my favorites. Well, I'm crossing my fingers for Vita for the year again because the last time I checked, it was up 155. percent Did you tip that? Yeah, in February. Wow, it's a good one. Oh, you mean for the pants of power? Yeah, you want the pants of power? <laughs> I want them back. I had, them, <laughs> I, want, I had them two years in a row. I lost them last year, and now I want them back. So, so just uh, we should really wrap this up. But just so you all know. A few years ago, Paddy Power sent me a pair of Paddy Power Y fronts, which have become our sort of Christmas talisman, Christmas trophy for the person <laughs> who has the best performing tip of the year. And you've you've won this once, well, twice. I've been here four years in January. I won it the first two years I was here. I lost it last year to Alex, but that's because he had a mining, well, actually an oil oil comeback. I thought you were going to say he cheated. <laughs> <laughs> no. And well, retail really went through the floor after the referendum, of course. Um, but you want them back, and again, and your and your your hopes are pinned on. Games Crossing workshop. my fingers. I have no idea. I haven't talked to Algie about where the spreadsheet stands, but my uh, chances. I bet are you good. wouldn't want them back if I won it. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, I can only remember one person actually putting them on. That was Mr. Fitzenek many years ago. Okay. 
Most people put them on their head. I'll give them a, I'll give them a wash. <laughs> thank you, Harriet. Thank you, thank you, Robbo. And thank you all for listening. Rough Guide to Risk, how to invest in an uncertain world on saying all good news agents. Uh, and uh, obviously get online. Well, get online and subscribe if you want to read it online. And uh, thank you very much. We'll be back next week. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.